Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Reimagining Cyber. Rob here with Stan, and we're going to discuss a new area, which we haven't covered in the past. We, we always talk about, you know, more of a focus on how we implement security controls, different approaches to that. We definitely cover regulations, as we've done many times in the past, and what, what you really re- kind of need to be you know, on the lookout for, if you will. But one of the things we haven't done is we've never really spoken to someone who actually focuses on the IT audit side of the equation. And I think that's part of, you know, a piece that we need to bring forward. And that's going to be part of our conversation today. And having a a really good IT security auditor is so critical because they're the ones assessing your security controls and how effective they are, monitoring whether or not you're being compliant to the regulations that matter in the organization. And I've been on the other side of this. And many times that can be a, a very effective driver when you get those findings that help you know, get you the funding you need to be able to become compliant. And so, I, you know, it is a very important role, and I think it's great that we're going to have a guest on to talk about it. So, Stan, who do we have joining us today? Rob, our guest today is Veronica Rose, a distinguished member of the IT risk assurance community in Africa. Veronica brings a wealth of experience in shaping risk-based information security audit programs and imparting knowledge on cybersecurity and data privacy in, in various organizations. Not only is she an accomplished professional in her field, but she's also a celebrated author on Amazon, having published over 10 career-oriented books, including children's books focused on cybersecurity. Additionally, Veronica plays a a vital role as a board director at the One in Tech Foundation and mentors emerging IT audit professionals globally. Veronica, it's a real pleasure to have you on the show. Before we get into our discussion, would you like to share anything else about your remarkable journey with our listeners? I think you've pretty much given a big introduction about me. And I think I'll appreciate if you've been introducing me almost all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, Veronica, yeah. You, yeah, yeah. So you recently published an article sharing your thoughts on what IT audit professionals should be focusing on in 24. And, you know, let's break down each of those objectives that you mentioned and, and let's start with upskilling. What should auditors really focus on as far as upskilling their their capabilities and skills starting this year? So as we all know, the IT environment is evolving. The IT audit environment is evolving. And so are the controls as well. So we cannot say that uh, the auditor who audited systems a couple of years ago should be the same auditor using the same skills to audit systems and applications that are in today's world. So the IT audit environment evolves. So should the roles evolve, the approach to how we audit systems evolves. That's why I encourage the auditors as we get into 2024, looking to do an app inventory. An app inventory here, I mean your own personal skill inventory. Which skills do you have? Which skills don't you have? Which skills do you want to improve on? Same thing the way you look at your phone and you have all the applications on your phone, but then do you use all those applications or what do you use them for? Or have you updated them? Have you upgraded them? So same approach. So I encourage IT to uh, not just come into the IT environment, but look at which skills you need, which skills are in high demand. We have emerging technologies that are coming up. How are you able to ensure that uh, you can audit emerging technology with the knowledge you have and the new skills you're acquiring? Yeah, so Veronica, just to follow up on that, again, one of the roles of IT auditors is to ensure compliance and also to ensure the security posture of the organization 
is is effective, right? Is that upskilling context, you know, tied to either the 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 you know the regulations that the organization needs to be compliant to, maybe new ones, or to new technologies that are being deployed in the organization? Yeah. So two two approaches to that. So on the element of compliance. You can get an example of the new regulations that are coming in to regulate AI, the regulations that are coming in to regulate data privacy. So as these new regulations come in, also IT auditors have to know how do we approach auditing an entity that that is GDPR compliant? How do we audit an environment that is leveraging emerging technologies and other Internet of Things tools? So that that is one approach of looking at it. Is this a new standard that is coming in? How do we approach that? Is this a new regulation that is coming in? How do we approach that? And then the other element could be a policy that has come in or a new tool that that an organization has onboarded. And then the IT auditor has to ensure that they have the tools and they have the skills that are going to help them uh, audit that particular application or system. Let's say if uh, an organization chose to use uh, cloud computing services, does the IT auditor have the capability and the competence yeah, to audit uh, cloud services? Right. That's a great example. That makes a lot of sense. And actually, that, that touches perfectly from our episode last week where, where Stan and I, Veronica, covered off. We focused on the top five, if you will, major changes going into the 2024 as it relates to new regulations, privacy being a key part of it, You know, the EU Cyber Resiliency Act, AI are all elements. So I think that upskilling that you're talking about is, is critical. Now, another key objective that you called out as part of, again, 2024 is focus on how you um, really kind of elevate the next level of, of, you know, stay on top of things from an IT audit pr- perspective is engaging and engaging in professional communities. So you talk about that kind of maybe you can share with our listeners, you know, some examples of good communities for the IT auditors to actually make sure that they're being part of, they're collaborating, they're networking with. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Yes. For professional bodies, I emphasize this because when you're in a professional body, usually you're, you're interacting with like-minded people, people of similar interests, people who do exactly the work you do, who have gone through the journey that you're doing. So myself, I mean, currently I'm affiliated to two professional bodies, and one is the NSED, the National Association for Corporate Directors, and then the ISACA Professional Community. And I must say, prior to joining these professional bodies, I can tell vividly how my career was then and how it has turned out to be. Because within these professional bodies, there are quite a number of things that you can engage in. First of all, professional bodies will avail you with resources on how you approach your line of work. Let's say uh, I'm in IT audit and ISACA usually uh, releases publications related to IT audit, audit programs. It has the engaged platform where IT IT audit professionals come in, ask questions, uh, share resources, share experiences. So the professional body is going to expose you not only to just the resources, the knowledge, the latest uh, insights into the work you do, but also you're relating with people who exactly do what you do in the other in, in any part of the world. So you're not just exposed to the knowledge within where you are, but also uh, a global view of how, how the industry looks like. And Veronica, I think another great opportunity in these kind of interactions with these different bodies, including ISACA, is you can contribute 
right? I mean, it's not not just consuming all the great assets that are being created, but you as a professional are encouraged to contribute as well and participate. Correct. I usually say that the best way to give tithe to, to the profession is by giving back in the way that you can write an article, you can write a blog, you can publish some work, you can serve as a leader. So it's one way of you paying tithe to your, <laughs> to your profession, yeah. And that actually leads us really naturally into our next objective that you call out in your article is around mentorship, right? And and the the opportunity to mentor someone, but also, mm-hmm. you know, seek out mentors for yourself. Correct. So, you know, do you have some examples, other examples that you can share? Oh, yeah. So actually, as we mentioned now, last year, we launched the ISACA Mentorship Program. And that program is purposely about matching a new ISACA member or raising ISACA member or raising professional to a professional that is already in the industry or maybe uh, a professional who is retired but would like to give back or to learn through the new uh, or rising professionals from within the community. So there is a lot that you can learn. But uh, just to mention about mentorship is that both the mentee and the mentor um, get value out of it. And how is this? It's a two-way thing whereby you are not too old to learn something new and you're not too young to share knowledge. So it is a platform where every, where you're able to give your time, like I'm saying, and then you're also able to learn from someone else. You're able to give value, you're able to influence somebody's career or guide someone in, in their career as they, as they grow, as they progress in their, in their, in their career. So we, have, we run the mentorship program and I, I tell you, a lot of people from across the world, as long as they are ISACA members, have access to mentors globally. So these mentors are there dedicated. They spend their time. Of course, it's part of um, giving back to the profession. Secondly, also the NCP hours from just mentoring fellow, fellow members. But uh, it is not just that. This relationship can bring people together, just uh, live alone the element of just being professionals, but also being able to relate on other aspects. Like I can give you an example. I usually travel and when I travel, usually let me say I'm in Ireland, let me say if I'm in the US, as long as I call one of any of my ISACA members that I know that I'm within the country or I'm within the state, I usually at least find three or two. Are you able, can we meet up for coffee? Can we, you know, can we meet up for something like that? Are you able to spend to our house? Just that. So it, other than the professional bit of it, it creates that sense of belonging. It creates the friendship within the community. And okay, to me, I'll just say Isaka is family. So not only Isaka, but I think also this happens to also other professional bodies. If you nurture these relationships well, if you give back to the profession and, you know, you never know what else happens uh, later in the future. That's a very good point. Yeah. It is a good point. I, I, I've seen great, I think, from Isaka to your point, global community. I mean, it just seems like, you know, I, I feel like I'm on LinkedIn all the time and seeing people across ISACA globally getting together. And, and it's just, you know, a great sense of, again, sharing with one another. And as you said, it's easy enough to reach out and you're very likely able to meet up with them wherever you may be traveling, right? Another area that you really focused on, which I think is, is, is critically important and, and I think it's also a lesson learned for everyone globally, again, that came out of the pandemic, which is all about focusing on well-being. Right. And again, you, you emphasize that as a key attribute to, to ensure you're really focused on going into the new year. Maybe you could share some of the things that you kind of really invested in yourself with that helps your well-being. Audit is a demanding job. 
It is a job that demands a lot of thinking, intellectual thinking. You need to creatively think and also actively think as you carry out the processes, the test work that we do, engaging the clients. You need the emotional intelligence. You need to engage a client at a level where they understand you. You need to be at a level where you're able to negotiate with your client. A lot demands an auditor. But then at the end of the day, how do you unwind? How do you release off all the pressure, all the demands for this job? So at the end of the day, you will need to be at a rightful mindset. So one of the things I encourage here is that take care of yourself. Your mental health is very important. Find time to exercise. Find an activity that helps you unplug so that you're in the stillness, you're releasing off the pressure for you to be able next time when you're engaging a client or on an engagement, your whole self is within the moment. I encourage professionals to practice social media minimalism. At the end of the day, you may say you're relaxing, but then your social media is taking over almost much of your time. Anything that drains you, try to de-associate with it. Just minimize the content you're taking in. We primarily are speaking to practitioners that are implementing the security controls and information security or cybersecurity programs, right? And so, you know, this is the first time we've actually had a chance to talk about IT audit and those that are focused on IT security audit. How, how would you differentiate the career paths between those that are practitioners implementing the controls in a program versus those that are auditing? And would you typically start having been part of an implementation side of the equation before going into IT audit? I mean, how, how do you see the typical career path? Oh, okay. <laughs> Thank you. Good question. So myself, I'm privileged to have a career that is that has all been in the IT industry, but not the specific domains that I'm practicing in. So initially, I started out my career into T-support, IT administration, and then I transitioned into information security information analyst, and then later I transitioned into IT audit. So I was a control implementer, but now I'm a control reviewer, kind of setting. Yeah, so switching careers is usually tricky to most of the, especially the mentees I speak to. Switching careers is usually very, very scary, very hectic. They're like, I may not make it the other side because usually IT audit looks like it's so technical, but also depends on the domains you are specializing in. So you may be into audit. Yes, of course, audit, you audit the processes, you review the business processes, the technical controls and, and the logical controls, all that you'll, you'll do the analysis of that. And also depends on the level where you are. Because let's say if you're at a managerial or a senior level, you will not be doing the actual analysis of the work, but you should have the knowledge that helps you now understand what was the analysis about what was the objective of the tech, of the control and what are we trying to achieve by performing this particular control? So if this is explained to somebody who is starting out a career in audit early enough and also someone who wants to transition and they are well informed that at this stage you should be able to perform this particular kind of tasks or, con or test this kind of controls and then uh, having the ability to use the audit tools as well, all the tools we use for the, the data analytics, the reviews, the reporting. If somebody is able to use those tools, I think their transition may not so 
be that difficult compared to someone who is just coming all in with when you don't have a background in them in the in the domains yeah that makes sense that makes sense thanks uh, one thing i wanted to mention before we end is to encourage it auditors if you join the profession before getting certified i would encourage them to take up the certification to get certified so that they are credible and if you're already certified then the element of upskilling should play a key role in your career so that you don't just because you have a certification doesn't mean everything is okay with you continue upskilling continue learning yeah yeah you shouldn't stop right you, you should you shouldn't stop there right you shouldn't stop with just the certification right correct correct Brad, thank you for for joining us today i think you know some some very important takeaways right one we discussed the need to continue to up-level your skills. And I think again, with all the new technology, all the new capabilities that are out there, you, you do need to stay on top of that, no matter what field really you're in, of course. The other thing we talked about are um, the levels of kind of engagement. There's so many communities out there to be able to get engaged and collaborate with others and you network from that and you build up great friendships, right? To be able to kind of lean on one another, which can also lead to the next thing we discussed around kind of that coaching and mentorship opportunity. Look, look for opportunities to be a mentor. Look for opportunities to go and actually ask someone to be a mentor. Don't be afraid to ask, right? You'd be surprised how many times you get a person that says, wow, I, I never thought about it. I'm happy to do that for you, right? And then obviously, as we kind of tie it all together, you know, always focus on the well-being of you individually, right? Physically, but also very, very important mentally. So different aspects today in our conversation. Really appreciate having you come on and join us. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. Great points, Monica. Thank you. Hello, producer Ben here, and Robin Stan's conversation with Veronica touched on the subject of upskilling or training in general. And as you'd expect, that's not the first time that Reimagining Cyber has explored this kind of theme. Episode 20 was called Closing the Cyber Workforce Shortage Gap. It featured Marion Merritt. Deputy Director for the National Initiative for Cybersecurity Education, or NICE, at the National Institute of Standards and Technology. NICE works to promote cybersecurity education, training and workforce development. An entry-level job, by definition, should not require three years of experience. And we just don't have enough. And if you look at the CyberSeq data, you can really get a visualization. Most jobs out there require five to ten years of experience. So there is a conundrum here. Let's say you have four employees and one of them is leaving every year, which is very common. If you're not thinking about bringing young people in or career entrants or career switchers in um, on a regular basis, you're just not going to continue to have bench strength on your cyber team. So that's a concern. That was Marion Merritt in episode 20 called Closing the Workforce Gap. Go and give it a listen. And in the spirit of training, upskilling and the like, why not take on the role of teacher and share some knowledge with a friend? For example, one easy way to do this is to send them a link to the Reimagining Cyber podcast. Do it now. I'm sure they'll be very grateful. Goodbye and thanks for listening.